0: Please.
1: Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by funkinstuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfein, musicologist and author of Everything's on the One, the first guy to Funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon to pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at funkinstuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version. From providers like iTunes and Spotify. As always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get, uh, early premieres, and it's all free. So make sure you sign up, tell a friend, tell family. Also get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff gear at the funkin stuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here, Truth and Rhythm shirts show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also want to give a shout out to the funk exhibition center and hall of fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official funk ambassador. Go to the funkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. I'm delighted to welcome to the Triton and Rhythm Command Center PRN Alumni Foundation board member Jackie Thompson. That organization's initial stand for Prince Rogers Nelson, who our guest worked for as a project facilitator during the mid to late 90s. That included assisting and in distribution for MPG Records albums by Shaka Khan and Larry Graham. Founded in 2017, the PRN Foundation, is comprised of former Prince and Paisley Park associates with the mission to continue Prince's generosity in supporting opportunities for underprivileged youth to grow in music, technology, arts, and education, as well as help alumni members in need. Jackie, yes. how are you? So good to have I'm you. I'm
0: good, thank you for having me, appreciate it.
1: Yeah, so you're coming to us from Los Angeles today?
0: Los Angeles, rainy, Los Angeles, can oh, you okay. believe it? You remember that, right? I... No, no rain, <laughs> so it's amazing. actually have some, so it's cool.
1: Well, good. Hopefully, it'll keep those fires at bay.
0: (laughs) Yes, please. It's been quite crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining the show, and uh, I look forward to uh, hearing your story as well as uh, that of the foundation. Sounds good. So, speaking of you, um, where are you from originally, and Mm -hmm. how did you sort of get involved in music and PR and marketing and that kind of stuff?
0: Well, I was born in London, England, actually, and I came over when I was two to the States. Um, Lived in New York City for a couple years, and then my brother uh, was uh, conceived, and my parents decided to go go back to where my dad's from, and that's Detroit, Michigan area. So I grew up in the Michigan area, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Detroit, which... um, Just really creative musically. And um, my father was a drummer. My brothers played bass. And so I learned to play the drums and just get on, you know, just the love of music. So it started that way. Um, Detroit's a big music. Place and and so there was just I was exposed to so much music funk and my mother's from England so I got the European Euro side David Bowie and all you know just you know Thompson Twins whatever uh, and uh, on my father's side jazz a lot of jazz Chick Corea a lot of amazing artists um, and uh, my own musical journey was more funk based. And I used to listen to a DJ called Electrifying Mojo. And he had a funk, a midnight funk association. And um, he uh, played so much really cool stuff, George Clinton, that and he exposed me to Prince, actually. Um, the first time I ever heard Prince on the radio was because of Electrifying Mojo. And I was young, um, early teens, so I didn't get to go to the shows. You know, my dad wouldn't let me go and things like that. So I um, later on, I did. I was able to. I know you mentioned when we were off, off camera um, uh, that you've been to a bunch of, bunch of shows in L.A., so that's really cool. Uh, so I didn't get to do that at, early on, but uh, later, obviously, a whole lot. <laughs> so so from, from there, I um, really started to get into being in a band and um, putting. I was the one that always put the packages together and uh, the branding packages and the PR, and I, w- I would just go after it. And um, so I sent a package for our band up to uh, Minneapolis to Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. They had a record label called Perspective Records. And um, I knew it wasn't solicited, so I called and asked the a if I could send it. And we hit it off, it was, and she ended up being a female percussionist and uh, we stayed in touch. The, um, Jimmy and Terry liked the band. We had the band up. Um, we drove up for, a, it was the, I think it was the uh, Minnesota Black Music Awards at the time. Um, a guy named Pete Rose would do it. Uh, and there were panels, and Jimmy Jam and Terry were on the panel, and she said, hey, come on up. And that was when I first went to Minneapolis the first time. Got a big... Um, uh, bug bitten by Minneapolis I love Minnesota and I decided to move there uh, ultimately I played there in a concert and just loved it and started to network around town with all the band members that ended up actually working um, with Prince a lot of them um, and I really wanted to make my path more about helping musicians um, I knew I had a gift in that very you know really that I love that I loved putting the packages together. I love the promotion part of it. I love the marketing. So um, I started doing that and I ended up working for a club in Minneapolis um, called Biscuits and Blues. Um, And it was um, Danny Glover and my girlfriend Regina Charbonneau owned it um, and she was a famous chef and a southern chef. uh, And so she had these amazing biscuits and downstairs were blues acts. So long story short, um one I booked Sugar blue is a harmonica blues player we did booked Eddie James we booked a bunch of different artists and I really wanted to have the ability to know everything about uh, music management uh, from the studio to booking so it was a great experience for me so um, uh, Sugar blue was in town and Prince came down and watched the show uh, at the club and um and then there is, it is leading to something that's pretty, pretty cool how we, how lives intersect. But um, so um, about, about six months later, I get a call from Mike Scott. He's a really good friend of mine. Um, played, started, had been playing with uh, Prince, playing guitar. Um, Morris Hayes is a friend and just really, um, you know, just a good, good, great group. So he calls me and says there's an opening for um, at Paisley doing, um, doing the uh, merchandise and marketing and so uh, I uh, ended up uh, you know getting ready to prepare for interviewing and um, he calls me the day of and says don't worry you got the job you know just come and so I I was like wow okay so I started working there uh, doing um, uh, the 1-800 new funk uh, and uh, staying out of the line of sight of uh, I was warned I was already kind of prepped Stay out of his line of his sight, so you don't, you know, you don't get fired, you know. And uh, it, it was a running joke. But um, so I just kind of took advice and just kind of stayed low key and just went in and and worked. Um, and Maite was running that part of that leg of it, and she'd come in. And one day she came in and she, uh, I was um, talking to her, and she looked like a bit frustrated. And I said to her, uh, but mind you, I hadn't even, ever talked to him yet at that point. It was just Maite. And um, she said, yeah, well, you know, my husband really wants to um, get in touch with Sugar Blue. Uh, but no one knows how to get in touch with him. And I said, oh, I've got his number. And she went, yeah, right. I said, no, I do. I, I have his number. I have his home number. You, you want it? And she's like, uh, yeah. And so I went in my, at the time, decks. Um and got the number and gave it to her and that was that's how it kind of started for me with him uh, I was on his radar now and it built from there you know just more and more I I did the MPG dance company with my put that together there were about three shows we did and then um, one day he says you're on my my tour now and and so it, it just kinda of went from there uh, and then I started running you know Paisley obviously were more people they are doing helping, but it was a really small knit group at that point. Warner's wasn't there. Um, we were doing MPG uh, records at that point. Um, it was just myself, Prince, and Londell really did the MPG records, you know. Ultimately, um, and uh, you know, it was just a really amazing kind of build into um, him trusting me more and more to do more things um in that so sorry about that (laughs) someone just came in um and uh yeah so it it just was a a really good progression uh for me with him and um that's how it kind of came to be wow that's a great story
1: thanks for sharing that
0: yeah yeah, that's
1: cool i wanted to throw a few things out there that came to mind as you were talking one is um coming up in Detroit. I re- recently had uh, Wally Safford on, he was talking about, Detroit, um, and uh, yeah. he says, hi, by the way.
0: <laughs> and, Tell him, <them>, Hey, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I cool. mean,
1: and it sounds like just such a great place to come up, you know, musically it's really, am so really amazing. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's really, really, um, interesting. Um, actually with Wally, um, he, I'd been looking to get in touch with, uh, electrifying mojo and, um, one day, Wally was in, and literally Mojo walks into the place that he was in, and he, he knew him. And um, g- he got his number, and I called Mojo. You know, my, like, whoa, you know, he's the one that, you know, really put my funk roots together from all, you know, from Michael Henderson and, and Roger and Zap, And, you know, that, that was my, my basis of my love, cameo, and all that. And... Um, so I was like, Oh, he's not going to call me back. I left. I left Mojo a message, and that night he called me and we talked for two hours. And we've been friends ever since. We talk, we text each other. We talk about music. Uh, he's so cool. He's out of out of doing music now, but he's such a neat guy. So that that's funny. You should mention that. So yeah, I, I hear it.
1: people from that area, and they and they'll just say yeah. Mojo. You know. Oh, <laughs> it
0: was totally he was so innovative and he he really I think helped launch well I know for a fact that he helped launch Prince's career because there wasn't a whole lot of support back then for him in the sense of the radio um, you know he was too black for white stations they didn't know what to do them and he's too white for black stations or like this guy on a naked on a horse you know you know it's a uh, you know, for, for that, they didn't know how, what to do. So Mojo was very um, eclectic, very innovative, and very future forward in his, you know, what he played, and very authentic with it. Like, he he didn't just play it because that's what he was, you know, like, pale or told to play by the, the, the you know, the uh, labels. They knew they couldn't do that to him. They knew he had to like the music. And so I think it was so... Um, it was just magic and I think Prince really knew that Detroit was a big big part a big fan base um, he started the Purple Rain tour, tour off there seven nights straight at Kobo uh, Arena hmm. so uh, I, you know it was definitely a second home as far as he knew where where his peeps were I actually we started uh, the MPG Dance Company in Detroit specifically because I knew people loved you know him and I knew they'd get Maite and, and the dance company, and it was really successful there. It really did well. And so that, that was a um, very uh, hard-working time for me. Um, it was where I proved myself to him, I think. Um, and And then that's when he was like, you're on my tour, you know, so. And then it, it grew more and more, you know, work and more, you know. And that I'd laugh about the AOL chat you talked about when we were offline. AOL chat, I know those well. So, you know, and um, I remember him doing um, an AOL chat uh, for Valentine's Day with my day. And he asked me, um, Jackie, can you type? And I could, but I didn't tell him I could because you just, I would be typing all his lyrics and doing all, you know, and I just, I had to focus on business stuff, it, you know, as I had so many hats, I could not be a typist as well. <laughs> so Draw the line Like, uh, uh, I know I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell them that, but I was actually, I could, I could definitely type pretty well. So.
1: What, 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 what was the name of your band?
0: It was called Catch 22. Uh, uh So, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was interesting because Jimmy and Terry, they, they dug it, um, but I think that they were small. You know, they had mint condition going, and the others, they just weren't really signing a lot of bands. They really didn't. They had low-key, and that was pretty much what they did. Um, but it was the catalyst for me to be able to get up and really love that city and decide to move and to make my home there. Um,
1: what, what, what year did you move there, Jackie?
0: I, I moved in 92 and I started working with Prince in 96. So, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. So you worked on the, uh, the the dance thing with Maite, and then yeah. you also mm-hmm. were, uh, did you do some promotion with her album or?
0: Well, uh, the well, Kama Sutra and all that had been already out. Um, it was just part of, uh, one, if I remember right, 1-800-NEW-FUNK. I was there for Crystal Ball, <laughs> uh, I got dropped into that uh, for that the pre-orders. Was, uh, yeah, that was notorious. an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, that was that. I, that's my claim to fame on that one. Um, but I, I uh, um, you know, I got kind of thrown under the bus on that one. But I still had a job after, so that was good. Uh, but uh, it, yeah, that was it. Still was amazing because the innovation of crystal ball um, selling it online like that and. You know, we sold a whole lot of them. He made a lot of money. Uh, And to be able to do it like that is just, like, so amazing. You you know, he saw tomorrow before technology was available. You know what I mean? So if we had had, there wasn't, I mean, when I was there and we were doing the records, there wasn't a Google. There was AOL chat, period. There were no, uh, you know, phones that had, you know, cameras, there was no Facebook. There was, you know what I mean. It's like no Google where I needed. You know, I remember one time he asked me to find the president of Real Audio on uh, and get him on get him on the phone. He wanted to talk to him, and he calls me back like 45 minutes, and I'm like, I don't even know what state Real Audio is in. I don't even know the name of the you know, and you can't Google it. Yeah, at the time it wasn't even around, and so I had to call like 10 or 15 people to find this and he had called me like 45 minutes later, did you get the number? And I'm like, no, not yet. <laughs> I'm still trying to find it. So those are the kind of you know challenges back then, tech, technically we had. What, what, but, what, was, what
1: was your first interaction with him that was more than just a couple of words maybe?
0: Oh, uh, let's see. Yeah, so what did he, I, it's, God, it's so long ago, I gotta think about that. But I do remember, well, how it, I can say this, is that Maite, um After the sugar blue thing, he got the number, uh, and then I'm on his radar now. So about a week and a half later, Maite comes in. And my husband was wondering if he liked my voice for some reason, and I had done the um, 1-800 New Funk um, line phone line for it, and he asked Maite if I would, if he, if I'd mind him sampling it for. Um, Uh, I think it was face down that was going to be they were doing some remixes for face down it never came out because he and I folded it before that but um, I'm on a face down version somewhere in the vault Um, and uh, so it was starting that that was the kind of communication that was happening my husband you know was wondering and then I remember I get he the the first time I I do I was walking by uh, and he's in the kitchen and he goes Jackie and I'm like, oh, he knows my name. Oh, my God. You know, that's like, and then I, he had asked me to do something. So that was, I remember that being, that I was like, uh-oh, uh, I'm, on, I'm on the radar now. So was he, still, was he still going by the symbol then? Yes, he was already there. So what were so, you
1: referring to him as?
0: Sir. i just Sorry. say sir. Or nothing, or i just, because he would call me and, you know, it would be, um, you know, him just, he would just start talking. I know it was him. He has such a distinct voice. I know when it was him, uh, except for a couple of the Paisley employees that would, like, actually could do a really good version of him that would, you know... There's two people that are the best. Um, and they would, you know, when he was gone, we would... Uh, you know, tease each other, or he'd call down and, and act like he was Prince or something, like buzzing but in general, you knew who, you know, I knew who he was, so he really didn't say, hey, it's Prince, you know, you know, he just say, he just start talking, and, and my uh, they still
1: call him Prince?
0: No, my husband. Even to him? I don't think she had, you know, no, I don't think she did.
1: Hmm.
0: I never heard her once. Wow. So, yeah, so... So it was interesting. It didn't really bother me, other than when I got calls at 2 a.m. to change the cryon on BET's. My name is in TAFCAP. Cap. I'm not the artist formerly known as Prince. I'm an unpronounceable symbol. Other than those calls, it was it was easy for me to to uh, you know navigate that with him. It was you know it just was kind of natural and not. Um, I was there though when he changed it back. So he calls me in the office and he says, I want to do a press conference and I'm gonna change my name back to Prince. And I looked at him like, Oh my god. I just was like, You know those movies where you're sitting but then you're envisioning yourself and i you, I I'm like I visioned myself, I was jumping over the desk to wring his neck, you know, for all the work I've done with the symbol and then I'm but I'm still sitting in my body. That's how it felt like I was just like ah! Um was that like but, in, was that ninety eight or ninety seven or? It was uh it was it was it had to be two thousand. Two thousand, yeah, because he's changed it. just ninety nine, two thousand, because we had done um, rave by that point, rave, yeah. So it was like ninety nine ish, area yeah. When he asked,
1: actually, I pulled these out because I know you were there at that time. But I would have to three.
0: I know him well. <laughs> They all
1: came out at the same time, basically.
0: They did. They did. Uh, For
1: for, uh, viewers that are are actually listeners to the audio version of this, I uh, got the Larry Graham, the Shaka Khan, and the uh, MPG albums. And um, it was a thrill as a fan at that time, having that all come out at once.
0: Yeah, you know, it was really neat. Um, And literally, I'm, I'm telling you this, we went down to Target. We did a meeting at Target. We did a meeting at Best Buy, uh, and literally I would call, they would, uh, Target would send a, a invoice over how many uh, uh, CDs they wanted to order, and I would drop ship to Target. There was no distributor. You're looking at the distributor uh, for MPG during that time for those three. Um, we had definitely challenges, like um, WIA and Sony and those guys, um, you know, They didn't want it to really succeed, let's be real. Um, Because if it did, then a lot of other artists wouldn't, you know, model that after, which ultimately is the way the music business is today, right? We have direct-to-fan, direct, you know, you can do, you don't need a big distributor anymore. Um, uh, And it was really interesting, you know, the tech, I was up against, you know, a big, 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 powerful industry and we ended up, you know, selling good good amounts. I mean, compared to what industry and what they thought was successful, they always tried to downplay, oh, he's not be- having success. We were selling lots of records, okay, and he was making a lot of money and it was his and so he paid for the manufacturing and then he got the, the, the lion's share of the money so he didn't have to, you know, sell as much to get, you know, that back. So, now, not saying that the uh, record labels are uh, a bad thing. They helped him get to where he w- was able to be able to do that ultimately in his life and have that kind of control. But um, at that point for him, it made sense to do it like that. Um, and it was so innovative. And it makes sense when you're already an artist that is established and you've been doing it a long time. And you have a fan base. You have uh, your people kind of built in. Why not do that? And so... Um, that was always really cool for me to be a part of that I felt really you know a lot of uh, the PRN alumni folks who I talked to they were there when Warner Brothers there was a huge staff there was like wardrobe there was I wasn't there during that time but it was really to me really innovative and really interesting and I'm so glad I got that time it gets a little bit overshadowed by the 80s and and then he did um, musicology and all that but there was some really interesting stuff I really loved Um, The fifth disc on uh, the uh, uh, crystal ball, the truth.
1: The
0: Uh, The acoustic, I really thought that was really neat. I would love to have done a standalone on that, just alone, but that was the, you know, the bonus on that. So I think people slept a little bit. I think there was a lot of um, diamonds throughout that period. You just needed, you know, it was hard to get it out there because the industry wasn't letting us get it out there as much as we wanted. Uh, Radio stations weren't playing his music. You know, there was definitely a pushback, you know, in that way. So
1: yeah, I think as innovative as he was musically in the '80s, where he's looked at being mm-hmm. from a business perspective, he was in the '90s with all the yeah. things that he experimented Absolutely. with.
0: Absolutely, I I was so lucky to have that because that I take that experience now to what I do now. Um, I also take his fearlessness. Um, he was not he. he he tried it and he did it with his music and even business. And you know, not everything works. Not everything's going to be successful. And you got to be able to realize that, not be afraid of you know failing and look at you know uh, pushing forward. So I I've I've always take that you know uh, from him. My experience learning from him. Um, the other thing I I feel is um, he really empowered women and I. I'm so thankful for that opportunity for him to believe in me as a woman and not look at me as a woman you know what I mean like I can do it I can be in the board I remember he asked me to fly in every Wednesday to be there for uh, the meetings uh, with Clive and and Arista and I remember him saying um, who who is Paisley Park Jackie and I wasn't going to go there, you know, because he's Paisley Park, in my mind. Uh, I would, I wasn't going to fall for that and say, that, you know, me. I know that's what he was trying to get me to say, but I wasn't going to say it. And he kept repeating, no, who's Paisley Park? And I was like, and so he finally said, y- you, you represent me. I want you there uh, in New York every Wednesday for those meetings and come back and report and tell me and be a representative of Paisley Park. And I did, and I really appreciated that. It really... Um, not a lot of guys do that. <laughs> I mean, seriously in that way. He didn't need to, you know. Uh, but he 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 believed in me and, and that I could do it. So I've always kept that and I've always appreciated that about him. You know, he wasn't always the easiest guy to work for. There were, he was tough and demanding and time-consuming and energy draining and all that, but it was so worth it for me. I, I learned so much and I and um, you know, I, I appreciate it and, and thank thank him for that opportunity.
1: Why do okay. you think that rave project uh, didn't get to where he had hoped?
0: Well, I think because I think Clive. I don't think Clive did what Arista normally does with artists. Like they have their routine set. They know how to. Um, they have it set in in the system Um, when Prince came on that system kind of got we were late on getting the video uh, to them you know there there are components that weren't on time in a sense even though there wasn't it wasn't set that way you know I think that Clive if it had been other artists Clive would have said hey this is what we're doing and this is how we're rolling it out I think with Prince he wasn't going to do that and I think Prince was looking for that, personally. I think he wanted Clive to do that. Um, and, um, you know, it was just... It, it's just an interesting time in music. Things were changing. Um, the magic with It was kind of, to me, like Supernatural, you know, with the, that kind of concept. Santana. And, yeah. And it, yeah, yeah, with Santana. Um, and I think they were trying to light that fire again in that way. Um, but, you know... Supernatural is supernatural in its own way, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, but I think there are a lot of cool tracks on Rape. Also, I think I wouldn't have chose um, Greatest Romance as the first single. Um, I think that was not the right move. Um, I I just, um, I think another song should have come first and then maybe Greatest Romance. That would have been what I I would have liked to have seen. I think that could be, um, the singles back then especially, um, or detri- you know, if you don't do choose that right, it can be detrimental to the whole album. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, these days, you you know, you can pop out a single, and that's it's single-driven, single, 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 digital. Um, but back then, it was really set up, and if you needed to have that right song, just didn't think that that was the right one for that particular. But it still did. I think it went... Um, I think it went it gold. Yeah, I did, definitely. I got yeah. a, um, a plaque from it, a gold plaque.
1: And then it, he so. put out the alternate version um, a little while later. Yeah. The first was Unto, and then it was Into? or Into, right. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then we did the... Beautiful um,
0: Strange was on it. Yes. Well, I, I did that, Beautiful Strange, actually. That's a great track. Um, um The actual video, not the, the song. I didn't do the song. He did that. The video's good, too. Uh, yeah, the video, Beautiful Strange. And um, we did... um. Uh, you know, I I started growing with him in the sense of uh, he pushed you differently than you thought. You you know, like you try things. that, like, hey, do you type? And I was like, no, I don't type. <laughs> you know, um, and but we started doing um, cutting concerts and videos together just by um, he just pushed you. Like yeah, we did so. We, I came up with a concept with a, a PR and a few people to do this um, thing called, um, at uh, Café de Paris uh, in uh, England with Channel 4. So it was a full, he was the first artist to ever have a full day of programming uh, in England on a Chan channel 4. Um, so they played all his music videos, they played it, um, a couple of his movies, and then it culminated with this show we did at Café de Paris. Um, and we shot it there. Uh, in London it was absolutely amazing it's like you know supernatural in that way you know it's just like everything just hit just perfectly it was a 12 camera shoot and we were done with it we were did three shows in um, London or England I think we did Brixton uh, Wembley, and then we did cafe to Perry uh, and we shot that and I remember uh, he said well fly, I want you to fly the masters and go to um, um California, find an editing bay, and we're going to start cutting it. and I'll 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 be there. So I said okay. So I, I found an editing bay in um, in Hollywood, Beverly Hills area, and flew there and put it up, got it you know ready for him when he was you know ready to go, and he calls me from uh, I don't know he's over in Spain or something and he he calls me and says I'm I, I just need a little time you know from the the tour, uh, you start cutting it. <laughs> what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> me start cutting it, and I, I was just like, okay. And so, like, luckily, my, I, I'm a bit, I have creativeness in me, and I have the drumming, and I know timing, and I understand visuals enough. And so, literally, I started cutting that thing. And so two days later, he comes, flies in, and he and I'm I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous, like oh god, he's gonna, you know, ugh. And uh, so he goes, he sits at with the editor. I'm back there, I'm just like inside, just dying, like uh, the guy who did Purple Rain is gonna look at my cut. Oh my god. So he he has the editor play it, and he he's quiet, and he's just looking at it, and he starts just. Um, roll that back, um, you know, it's a, like two frames off. He's really amazing like that. he know when the the sink was two frames off or, you know, go five frames back or forward or whatever. And um, and then I realized he's just cutting it, and he doesn't hate it. He's just getting into it. So from that point on, he started having me in the editing bays with him. It was really crazy. So we did a... a I, while I was on tour, he had me go out and shoot all this crazy B-roll stuff, just random B-roll fun stuff. We did Hyde Park where he was an old man um, and, and he, he didn't even let tell us he was going to be an old man. He just pulls up in a limo and he's ready to go and he's got his dis- disguise on and we shoot him. And it's, So it ends up being Come On, the, the video of Come On. So him and I, are, we just take this random footage that we had done B-roll on tour along with this and cut this, and it's supposed to be silly and fun and, and just quirky and whatever. So that was, him and I did it alone in this fire suite. Um, and, you know, and so that ended up, the Cafe de Perry in, um Beautiful Strange with uh, Mel B's interview, we, we put that into a, um, a VHS and created the beautiful, strange um, uh, VHS at the time. <laughs> VHS, oh my God. Um, it's amazing how far it's come. I just still, when I talk about it, I'm just like, wow. Um, but that that was something that led, actually when I left working for him, I ended up doing EPK. So Arista sent an EPK to him for Rave. He calls me in the office and says, "Come into Studio A. I want you to look at the EPK and tell me what you think." So I, I go into the studio and I watch it, and I, I, it, you know, it wasn't like the best. So I said, "I'm not really feeling." it. He says, "I don't either." Tell him, you know, you're doing it, and you know, call him back and tell him you're doing it, redoing it, and send the stuff. So I had to call Airstop and get all the footage, and then I went and I cut it, and so they they really liked it. And um, I ended up getting hired later by Arista uh, to do EPKs. I did um, Stankonia with um, uh, uh, Outcast. I did Funk Master Flex. I did an um, EPK for Shaka Khan. After that, so it was really an interesting path, you know, uh, of that. So, anyway, pretty yeah. cool. He's yeah, yeah. a Beautiful
1: Strange was. I mean, when I first saw it, it was just blown away because. I mean the music was great it had a song never heard before and also um to see uh prince that disarmed you know to be with right her you
0: know it was was so cute they were really cute together they really were i was there for that um and you know when it was shot i mean they were just honestly um really just natural they just liked each other they just it was really quite they were sweet you know and the interview was really cool so it was just nice nice day um, for that so that, that was really cool and we just incorporated so everything that he did even when he because um, that was for a VH1 special originally that was shot by VH1 but everything he did he owned so even though uh, you know there was um, VH1 um, they didn't own it so we could use it later so that's what we we did um, so that was pretty cool um, were
1: you in, were you involved also with that one? I forgot the name of it. Um, that had um, Dougie Fresh in it and Larry Graham and Chucka Khan and him.
0: Yeah, on on uh, live. Yeah. Yeah, that was the Cafe de Paris.
1: So, oh, that was. Yeah,
0: okay, yeah, yeah, that was that. So that was a, a place in London, um, and we found a um, really cool club. It had a upstairs and down, but it was small. It was five hundred. Uh, Cedar. So we had all the fans on the bottom and some of the VIP on top, and then we had Channel Four had t- 12 camera shoot around it, and that was with Shaka Khan and Larry Graham and Dougie Fresh and all that. That was that shoot. They called it something
1: else yeah. when they released it, um, which I can't remember. It was Well,
0: it was a uh, secret gig, the secret gig. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely that that we, we it was a secret gig. No one knew about it until like literally hours before.
1: There's only like it, what a hundred or two hundred people, maybe
0: two hundred below, and then we had VIP upstop, so there was probably around four hundred people. Hmm. Totally, yeah, it's a small club, but it was really, it was, it was a lot of fun, um, and yeah, we call it the secret gig, um, and uh, and then that became part of the the, the bundle basically on the VH1 with uh, Beautiful Strange and and that.
1: And you also yeah. were involved in the um, nineteen ninety nine concert show which was was a live broadcast right originally
0: no it was not so well well,
1: they aired it like it was alive yes exactly
0: yeah they did oh yeah Uh, we did that in November um, and uh, it was it was amazing Um, I still have the the metal I I had metal tickets made there's only like I've got only 500 people um, and it was, it was really cool. We had, um, Lenny Kravitz, George Clinton, um, Johnny Lang, uh, who else? Gosh, Ma- oh, the time. yeah, yeah, Time, Macy Parker, all that. So it was, it was really, really cool. And, um, yeah, I helped put that together. And then it was, uh, if you've got time, I'll tell you the story about this. It's actually pretty pretty cool So and crazy. So literally, um, it's a pay-per-view, right? And it was all satellites at the time. So it's the upload. They need at least a day to two days to upload to all the satellites back then. And so um, uh, we had to deliver. We were editing. We literally del- edited at Paisley Park at that point um, with the director, myself, and Prince, and... I know that footage back and forth it was crazy so um, we were literally so they're calling I had to be that, that the actual master had to be in their hands by 8 a.m. The, the that um, that next morning in New York so we're literally editing still and putting in um, the uh, credits and all that right And I'm getting calls from them, like, panicky. And I say, I've got my Northwest flight coming in. Don't worry, I'll be there, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, but we have to have it. There's no, you know, this is like satellite. We have to have it. I said, no worries. So I'm going, oh, my God, I don't know if we're going to have it. So um, Prince comes to me and says, uh, how much is would it cost to do a, a private jet, you know, there? Yeah. And, I, um, and I still have my Northwest flight booked so I went and I researched, you know, that got that pricing, and I came back, I told him, and he's like, um, okay. And so as it got closer, he says, book it. And so I, I booked the the, the, um, the private jet and uh, literally grabbed the tape. I had a car waiting for me. I ran, zipped to the private jet, got on the private jet, ended up, it was 7 a.m. in the morning I'm in mid Manhattan traffic I literally get to the office at like 7:57, you know like oh I mean like here you go like a like I'm doing that it was absolutely crazy but we, we pulled it off but boy what I mean but those were so much fun you know at the time I'm stressed out of my mind but looking back I always find that I, I just giggle and laugh at that it's just like so so cool
1: was there much other stuff that wasn't in what was put together much other performance
0: um you know there was some you know all the performances were in there um it just was edited you know and trimmed um it was it's been a while so it's hard for me to i when i see it i go oh yeah i remember that wasn't
1: there like a zip line or something like morris day or somebody came in like
0: yeah there was a few things you know um it was a it was a long day. That's all I gotta say. Long long couple weeks leading up to it. So um, uh, so the he didn't want to play on on New Year's Eve. So that was we did it like it was New Year's Eve. The balls coming down, you know what I mean. But the the uh, balloons, and um, so we fake New Year's Eve in event, uh, you know there. And I remember I get a call from him, and he's like. Um, uh, you were going to come watch it and watch the the show. You know, it's New Year's Eve, mind you. I'm like ready to go out with family and friends and go party and celebrate. And I end up out at Paisley Park with him and watching the show I just cut over and over and over. Know it behind back. I'm just like, oh my God, why am I here? Like, I should be out like popping champagne right now. And, And then, but... You know, at that was that how I felt at the time. In retrospect, oh my God, to have that opportunity to to watch that show with him, uh, kicking in the new millennial, you know, is like pretty pretty. Not a whole lot of people can say they they did that. So, but at the time, I was not happy. I was like, why? I just saw this like over and over and over. I know this show, man. You know, it's like, oh man, but. He was proud of it and, you know, it, it was a fun. And when I look back now and I go, oh, that was, that was fun. That was, that was good.